Do you live ECU? Do you breathe purple and gold? Are you ready to hoist the colors? Now, time for the most in-depth look at the world of ECU athletics. Welcome in to Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Watch the show live on Facebook and at 94.3thegame.com. Now, here's your host, Stephen Igo. All right, welcome in. Hoist the colors on this January 25th, Thursday edition of the show. A victory Thursday edition because the Pirates topped the Wichita State Shockers in men's basketball last night. They get another road win, their second road triumph of conference play. They get back to 500 overall, 10-10, and and move to 3-4 and in the league. They will head home. They will take on Temple Sunday evening at 5 o'clock. So we'll get into what this win means and much more. Philip Pilkington is in the studio. He is producing today's show. Kaysen Romaley is going to join us shortly, our basketball insider from Hoist the Colors. Look, it was a ugly basketball game for the majority of the night, 54-52. ECU holds Wichita State to a season low, 52 points. They force 19 turnovers. Yes, say force, but Wichita also threw the ball away quite a bit. But ECU took advantage of those 19 turnovers. Wichita State having one of their worst seasons in recent memory. It's kind of hard to believe how how bad they are. They lose their eighth game in a row. But I'll be honest, I I didn't expect ECU to win last night. I I thought it would be a chance for Wichita to turn its season around. I said yesterday on the show this was an opportunity for ECU to turn its season around. They had to get this win. Coming back home, kill this, mo- uh, the, you know, really the wrong momentum they had going with the losing streak, losing these close games, and just finding a way to win, man. It makes such a difference. I don't care how ugly it is. I'll bring you in, Philip, here to touch on this. I've seen a lot of East Carolina basketball in my lifetime, a lot less than many, but still a lot. And I've seen a lot of road losses, road losses to good teams, average teams, bad teams. And usually ECU finds a way to lose games like last night. Instead, they find a way to win. And uh, I thought they showed some real toughness last night winning on the road, even if it's a bad Wichita State team. Winning on the road for ECU basketball is always a huge deal. It is, and I like that they won on the road in close fashion. Uh, Coach Schwartz talked about it in his postgame interview with Darren Vaught and Michael Perry that this game was tied with eight minutes to go, and he was happy about that. He wanted to see his team go down there and win a one- or two-possession game because it's something they've really struggled at this season. When you look at the upstate loss as well as you know a handful of other games, they've lost the close ones. Really, their only close win was the game against Tulsa. And so to do that on the road, that was big. When they beat Temple on the road, it was pretty clear for most of the second half who was going to win the game. I love the toughness, the grit down the, you know, down the stretch now to your point it did help that the shockers turned the ball over 19 times they turned it over four times in the first four minutes of the game and a lot of those were sloppy passes out of bounds it wasn't like the pirates were creating great traps and forcing bad tur- or forcing good turnovers as good as the turnover could be it was a lot of dead ball sloppy turnovers but credit to the pirates for taking advantage of that when your opponent gives you things you have to take advantage of it they uh, turned it into can't remember how many second chance points, but I know they had, uh, or how many 
points off turnovers. I know they had 17 second chance points off 17 offensive rebounds, which was big as a team who has struggled to get offensive rebounds of late. So really proud of this basketball team. And I think if the season does end up where we had hoped it was going to end up when the season started, we're going to look back on this game as the turning point. Yeah, 22 points off turnovers, Philip, for ECU. And so, you know, you could have even had more. I, I was worried based upon how the first half was going that East Carolina was going to miss the opportunity really to, and quite honestly, they probably should have put the throat on Wichita State a little bit earlier in that first half. I mean, the Shockers had 13 first half turnovers alone, which was above their season average. I mean, just awful plays. I guess there weren't too many live ball turnovers necessarily, where you're just giving it away in the uh, you know in the backcourt or at midcourt, leading to to run out opportunities. But ECU winds up. Mike Schwartz talked about it after the game. The Pirates shoot 68 shot attempts. Wichita State shoots 44. So ECU winds up with 24 more shots. Of course, the Pirates only shot 33% as a team, 33.8%. Wichita shoots 40.9%. And then also, ECU doesn't score in the final 259, so they take the 54-47 lead after the dunk from Bobby Pettiford Jr. on a live ball turnover, on a steal. Pettiford has some huge plays in crunch time. It was good to see him bounce back. But, you know, you go up 54-47, Phillip, you're feeling pretty good. And then all of a sudden, Wichita starts to kind of climb back into it. They get a bucket. They get a couple free throws. ECU unable to score in the final three minutes. It was kind of an anticlimactic end. Somehow, and I, I know you were you were producing last night, correct? So I don't even know if you were able to see it. But the final sequence of the game, by the way, great defense by ECU uh, to, to deny Wichita State a good look at a game time three pointer. Bobby Pettiford actually had six foot eleven big man Quincy Ballard ba- boxed out like. Plain as day, boxed out, and Ballard goes over his back to get the rebound with 2.8 seconds left. Pettiford is called for the foul. I don't know how. I guess they're, they were trying to say he undercut Ballard, but he had position. Uh, either way, he goes to the line, makes the first, then intentionally misses the second. Ezra gets the rebound. He misses the free throw. Then the Wichita State guy doesn't even really get a shot. He just kind of slings the ball towards the goal. He actually had some time to kind of dribble and get a shot. Instead, he just caught the rebound and slung it almost like a pass. Didn't even come close. So, I don't know. It was kind of a weird ending and kind of anticlimactic. But I guess when you're ECU and you're winning on the road, you'll take it, right? You will. You know, the the climactic games are for neutrals. When you're winning a basketball game, you will always take anticlimactic. You want as least amount of nerves going in as possible. Of course, you know, it's hard to say there wasn't too many nerves like your points only being a two point game, but, uh, you know, it was frustrating down the end to see once again, as well as I thought the team played defensively and on the boards there at the end of the game to have a scoring drought. There were a lot of scoring droughts in this contest for the Pirates. Um, I thought we saw more depth than we had ever seen before, which was a good thing. It, well, I shouldn't say – well, with this team, it's the most depth we've seen. And where the guys that not only got in the game towards the middle and back of the bench played well, but the unfortunate thing is still you didn't score a lot. And I know it's not always about scoring, but when you go in there and you have multiple times, you go three and a half and four minutes without scoring, especially the last three minutes and 40-some seconds of the game, uh, you can easily back your way into some losses in some games you have no business losing. 
<laughs> yeah, credit the defense for finding <clears throat> finding a way to get those stops and giving ECU the win. Defense travels. East Carolina executed on the defensive end last night. That's why they won the game. That's why Schwartz is so about it. And I do think we've seen this defense play better. You know, I think this is the third straight game they've held their opponent under their season average, and so that's a, a major positive uh, as they continue that. All right. Um, do we have our East Coast Agency Player of the Week ready? We do. Phillip? All right. We'll go ahead and roll that. We are getting some questions rolling in and comments on YouTube. We'll get to those in a minute uh, as we get to some of the, the individual performances from last night. So this was kind of a tough one to pick because there wasn't really that major standout performance on the stat sheet. Uh, but I'm going to go with Brandon Johnson, and I do that because I thought there was a point in the second half. Brandon Johnson was just like, all right, enough of this. They're trying to take me out of the game, but I'm just going to do what I do and shoot really deep three-pointers. And he made two back-to-back threes at a crucial point early in the second half where both teams were really kind of to, to grab hold of the game. And B.J. knocked down two big threes. Uh, he finishes with 12 points to lead East Carolina on the day, a low-scoring game. He was efficient, 4 of 8 from the field, 3 of 5 from three-point range. He had seven rebounds, three of the team's 17 offensive rebounds. He also had three steals, and he played 38 minutes. 38 minutes, the highest uh, for East Carolina, the highest for any player on the court on Wednesday night for either side. So uh, Brandon Johnson, our East Coast Agency Pirate of the Week. Uh, again, he's he's been our Pirate of the Week quite a bit this year. But uh, secure your peace of mind with East Coast Agency, your trusted provider, uh, against uncertainties in North Carolina, South Carolina, and Virginia. Where protection meets peace of mind, we've got you covered. Uh, again, East, uh, East Coast Agency has opened their Greenville, North Carolina office. Call Drew Moeller at 252-341-8818. Thanks to Tim Vliet and crew for their support of the program, East Coast Agency Pirate of the Week, Brandon Johnson. So, Big performance out of BJ. Big performance out of RJ Felton, specifically in the second half. He scores just 10 points for the game, but he had eight in the second half and uh, some big buckets in crunch time. And we've got Casey Romaley now in the studio, fresh over from class. Rocking his throwback Pirates shirt, Casey. Are you proud of the Pirates' road victory last night? I was proud of the Pirates' road victory last night. It wasn't the prettiest one, but... The main stat that matters is wins, and doesn't matter if you win by 100 or win by one. A win is a win. I'm very happy with it. It was very ugly from start to finish, but they got it done. Just like you said, no matter who you play, road wins are huge. So I'm very, very happy. Second straight win for East Carolina in Wichita. We'll get to uh, you know what this win means going forward. Is it a turning point? Is what? Tony Hicks asks, resilient win for the Pirates. Do we think this is a turning point? We'll, we'll address that here shortly. Uh, Christian Bateman said the X factor was Valentino Pineda. Let's, let's get into it, guys. Look, Val Pineda, at times, we've talked about him on the show. Is he playing too much? You know, he doesn't really score. He, he has still only scored two points the entire season. He told you, Casey, in the preseason. 
What did he say? My job is not to score? He said, my job is not is to score. My job is to play defense and pass. I'll never forget when he told me that. I kind of just looked at him and was like, what? When he told me. He said <laughs> it so seriously, too, during media day. And I was just like, all right. And then, but I mean, you see it. And I mean, look, yes, people say what they want to say. But I mean, he played solid last time. I'm not going to say he played great. But I mean, just like we talked about, he was in good position at good times. And I mean... It could have been worse. He could have been turning the ball over. But also, look, on offense, they don't throw the ball to him. So, I mean, he's just out there setting screens, running around. So, I mean, he's not that big of a liability on offense as people think he is. Yes, it's like four and five, but he does set screens. It's not like he's asking for the ball, shooting up shots, or making bad passes. He's not doing nothing bad. He's just not doing Nothing at all on offense and on defense last night. He was in good position. He got some steals and some rebounds. So I mean, I give him, I give him a, I give him a C plus. I mean, he's just he is what he is, right? He's not a scorer. He told you himself. And uh, his job last night on defense was to hedge the ball screen, get out there, double team, trap, and then get back, recover, and, and not <clears throat> allow any easy buckets in the post. And he did exactly that. Every single time. So he executed his job. No, he's not blocking shots. He's not necessarily a good rebounder. But, and look, I wrote this on the board earlier today. You know, he played, what, 19, 17 minutes? 17 minutes. Okay, he played 17 minutes because Ezra Sarr clearly had something going on where he was getting looked at on the bench. I don't know if he was injured or what. Uh, Clearly something was up there. But he was in the game when Ezra was not in there for that specific reason, and he executed his job. It's not like his job was to go in and score 10 points to keep ECU ahead. So, look, he did what was asked of him. I don't think he turned the ball over once, correct? He had no turnovers for Val Pinedo, so he didn't really negative. You know, he, he did commit three fouls, but I thought a few of them were, were fine. Uh, I, I just think he did his job, and he probably won't play this much in a lot of conference games, so he had to last night. He did his job. I don't see the big deal with people freaking out about everything Val Pinedo does. And Coach Schwartz was very happy for him after the game. He says he busts his tail every day in practice. The X-Factor, Val Pinedo. Look, I'm happy for him. Without him, I don't think EC wins the game last night. I mean, I really don't. I mean, that, that may be a crazy statement to make, but like, I feel like if Sear or another Ford were in that position, they're probably giving up some easy buckets on those, on those screens. You know, trying to hedge and get back. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, and one thing that I want to say is some people aren't going to be ready for this conversation. This might ruffle some feathers. But from watching it with my eyes and not looking at the stat sheet, if you watch it from a just pure watching it, Val Pinedo looks like he knows what he's doing more than Sear Malanga does. If you watch Sear, just watch him when he's on defense. There are some times where he gets completely lost and in his own head. And sometimes, and most most of the time, like last night, Val was in the right position. He had a steal as soon as he got in the game. And he was in the right position. And look, just because the stat sheet is not full with numbers doesn't mean you doesn't mean you didn't play great. I mean, he didn't play great, but I mean, he didn't play bad. And and look, to put an example, because the reason I'm saying this is because I was talking about it last night. Look at a this is like a, this is a stretch, but it bothers me because people thought he was so great. Look at a player like Leaky Black or like Greg Gant for uh, NC State last year. Those players did not put up stuff in the stat sheet, but they were starters and were massive parts to their team because 
they did the plays that did not show up on the stat sheet. And that's what Val Pinedo did last night. All of his effort did not show up on the stat sheet last night. And look, yes, it's always great when you look at the stat sheet and you see eight, five, and eight points, five rebounds, and assists, a steal, or a block. But look, sometimes it's not always about that. If you're there in right position making the right plays, sometimes it's not about making the right play. It's about not making the wrong play. And I think that was what he did last night, and he did well. Coach Case and Romaley breaking it down for all the basketball novices out there. ECU goes 10 deep last night. Coach Schwartz uh, plays 10 different guys. Drew on Facebook says, any status on Quentin DeBunje? And then he, he wants our thoughts on how many players ECU played and how it's never consistent. All right, so DeBunje, he's got a high ankle sprain, some ligament deals, uh, ligament damage, so he's still going to probably miss some time. I would say probably a, at least another week or two. He's already been out uh, close to a month. He got hurt at FAU on New Year's Day, I believe, or the day after New Year's Day. I would think mid-February is the earliest we'll see him, but I have not confirmed that. It's just me speculating. I'll try to get more details there. Um, yeah, so, Kaysen, we we saw more depth last night. I think part of that was by necessity because Wichita is huge. So they started Sierra Malonga. They played Callum Richard to try and match up with Kenny Poto and Quincy Ballard. There aren't too many teams in the American with two bigs like that, so that's kind of why those guys had to play. I thought Callum and Sear held their own. I do think Sear, like you said, there were times like he, there's times he's just a step slow, and like you can see the explosiveness and the ability, but like he he's quite he's like a step too late to react, and he gets beat and gives up some easy buckets or gets fouls. Uh, because of that, I uh, still like his upside, but you know they were going against two upperclassmen bigs last night. We did see Jaden Walker get the points. Baela, I don't know what to make of him at this point. Kaysen, I mean, he just his shot is broken. I mean, it's not even close, man. So I don't know. What do you make of the the rotations last night and who played? I wasn't that mad about the rotations. I think that them playing Wichita State. How do I put this? It was kind of a scapegoat to bench Bobby and Cam for their play the past couple games. I mean, it gave the perfect reason to start Walker and to start Sear because of the bigs and then the length and the size that they have. And I think that Bobby and Cam came off the bench. They didn't play outstanding, but, I mean, they've played better the past the past games they have. Cam was one for eight, didn't play that well. But I thought Bobby was not was not horrible. What was he, four for nine, eight points? Wasn't too bad. And then I'm, yeah, four uh, for nine. Yeah. Five, he had some big rebounds late, mm-hmm. man. Yeah, so I think that coming off the bench, I mean, and that's always, and that's, and I knew that was going to be hard for them because they've started their entire career. I mean, Bobby hasn't, of course, but that's a different situation because he played for a, the national champion. But Cam started his entire career, so, I mean, I thought that was going to be difficult for him, but it was, but I think that he could get used to it. But I, I, I honestly like that lineup, and I think Sear needs some more time to grow. And also, but also on ECU one, congrats. But also on the other side, Wichita State, man, that program, what a fall from grace. I mean, they're bad. I mean, just and just looking at the talent level that they have on that team with the resources they have, it's just unbelievable. And Paul Mills from Oral Roberts, he's a great coach. He did great things at Oral Roberts, and just the pool of players he has is not ideal and the talent there is just not good 
Yeah, it's hard to believe with that home court advantage and those resources that they've lost eight in a row. 0-6 in the conference. I think they're still 7-3 and and 7-4 and at home, so it's still not an easy place to win, which is why I think you know ECU should pat itself on the back for this road conference win. But, yeah, Wichita, boy, I don't know. Tough tough couple years for them, and I think Mills will get it done over the next couple years, but it's a tough first year for sure. All right, we got to get a break in. It's been a long first segment. By the way, the Carolina Panthers have their head coach apparently. Uh, we will get into that to start next segment as well as Kaysen and Phillip are both Panther guys. We'll discuss that and we'll move on to what this win means for ECU. I said yesterday a win could turn ECU season around. We'll discuss that on the other side. This is Hoist the Colors on a Thursday. Everything you need to know in the world of ECU athletics. This is Hoist the Colors with Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. All right, welcome back in. Hoist the Colors on this Thursday. We just talked about ECU's win over Wichita State in segment one. We'll get into more of that here in a minute. Discuss what it means for the Pirates in terms of turning their season around, potentially going forward. Uh, the Carolina Panthers have their guy, it appears. Dave, is it Canellis or Canales, guys? Do we know? Canales. Dave Canales. Can- I was just it's looking at it. Canales. It was actually funny because as soon as I walked in here and sat down, he got hired. So I was on my phone trying to be like, what in the world? Because I don't understand. Because all day yesterday and then this morning was all about Vrabel flew in Vrabel. this morning to Carolina. Yeah. So I don't understand. So I'm trying to figure out if it happened or not. But me personally, I don't think it happened because, or I don't understand the situation because why would you have him come in if you're going to go and hire this guy? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, the good thing is we're having Zoki on. Situation. Yeah, the good thing is we're having Zoki on Patrick's show, so I am going to ask Zoki this if he knows whether or not they interviewed Variable at all. And you know, it could have been a situation. We do know Dan Morgan and this guy obviously have a relationship, and it, he, they could have been waiting on an answer, and he decided to go ahead and take the the job. So we'll see. I'm sure eventually we'll figure out if Variable actually did interview or not, but. uh yeah, how do y'all feel? Y'all are the Panther fans here. Does Dave Canales get y'all fired up? Apparently, he's the quarterback resurrector. He figured out Geno Smith and Baker Mayfield during his time with the Seahawks and the Bucks. It, it you know, Bryce Young. I don't know if he really needs resurrecting. I guess he just needs some help. Philip, you got first. I appreciate it. Um, so. Yeah, so Case and I were kind of talking about that during the break, is that he got the best out of Geno, got the best out of Baker. And what I saw from him last year is, with the Bucks play calling, he very much played to his personnel. Rashad White is not a great between the tackles back, and as a result, they were 31st in the league in rushing offense. But they got Rashad White involved in a lot of screen passes and you know little scat-type, back-type plays, which opened up their ability to pass the ball down the field because... It caused the t- the defense to bring guys up as the same as they would if you were effectively running the football. So I think he's very good at playing to his own strengths, which is something that we have not had in Carolina in a long time, which is a great thing. However, this is probably not the most qualified candidate, the best hire, the sexiest hire, but when you've got a bad um 
you know, environment like the Carolina Panthers do, you're probably not going to get the biggest tire and the sexiest tire. So out of all the potential candidates, I think, you know, this is the potential legitimate candidates that would actually want to come to Carolina. This is a high upside kind of guy, but also this could be grounding into a triple play as well as hitting a grand slam. So, you know, who knows? It's I'm cautiously optimistic about this, so I don't hate it, but um, – you know, you would have preferred like a Mike Vrabel, but he probably wasn't going to come here anyways. <clears throat> now, I, now, I want to get this said first. The Panthers are the only team to interview him through the whole process. In the NFL of the seven openings, six openings, we're the only team to interview him, which I'm not too mad about because if you look at coaches around the NFL now, just like me and Steve were talking about, I'm pretty sure Sean McVay was only interviewed by the Rams, and look how that worked out. Yes, that's just one. But to go on where he's from, uh, he high school, small college, and he was the USC assistant strength coach in 2009. And then from 2010 to 2017, he was the Seattle Seahawks receiver coach. Then from 2018 to 2019, he was the quarterback's coach. The next year, the passing game coordinator. And then in 2022, in Geno's resurrection, res, yes, that word, he was the Seahawks quarterback coach, and last year was the Bucks' offensive coordinator. And also, I think that a large part of his success was having great receivers. If you look at his coaching career in Seattle, he had Lockett, all those receivers, DK. And then you go down to Tampa Bay, you have Godwin and uh, Mike Evans, but you come down here to Carolina, who you got? You got a 38-year-old Adam Thielen. DJ Shark. He sucks. So a major thing this offseason is to get a receiver, and I think the number one target, just like everyone, just like on everyone's board, is T. Higgins, which I think that the Panthers have enough money to pry him away from Cincinnati, but I think other teams do too. And they don't have the draft capital that is attractive to head coaches and I think that that's also that also needs to be put in the situation with us hiring him because look if you look at the Panthers situation we by far have the worst head coaching opening for sure you have no draft capital whatsoever whatsoever you have a horribly constructed roster and then you have a rookie quarterback that got thrown in the fire and he's damaged pieces right now i wouldn't say damaged but he's definitely a little shaken up and you need to help you have no first round pick and then look at the offensive side of the ball the offensive line was the worst in the nfl receivers were the worst in the nfl the one thing decent you have chuba hubbard and you have so much money that's thrown away between hayden hurst miles sanders and then to top it all off the cherry on top, you have to work with David Tepper, which is just unbelievable. And that's why it's so bad because – and look, people talk about Vrabel, Vrabel, Vrabel. But just like you said on the air when I commented it, I'll never forget it. You, you said, there's there's no way Mike Vrabel's going to come here and deal with David Tepper. I was like, yeah, you're right. But then again, I hope, I'm praying, I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope, Depper, Tepper, Depper, Tepper, whatever his name is, has realized <laughs> – that he needs to step away from the football and just worrying about making sure there's enough Coke machines, Bojangles, and Krispy Kreme in the arena and worrying about getting Beyonce, Drake, Luke Holmes in here. Don't worry about the football. Don't worry about the ball. And we'll be fine. I'm done. David Tepper will always be meddling. That's what billionaire owners do. Uh, Daniel Olson lays, uh, weighs in on the Twitter live on, X live on, whatever we call this now. He says, Panthers fan life is pain, not a good hire, screw Tepper. 
I mean, look, you you got a guy who was only OC for a year because because of David Tepper, because of the situation Cason just ran over. But I'd rather take a shot on a guy like that personally than a retread like Frank Reich. I'm I think he's be, a solid coach. I'm going to be brutally honest. But I don't know. This hurts my heart to say this, but I was 110% confident we were going to hire Dan Quinn as our head coach. For some reason, just being Panthers fans luck, and if we would have did that, well, I would have snapped my phone across my across my knee if we if that happened. But look, I think considering the candidates, yes, Ben Johnson's a good one. He was number one for me. But let's think about this: you weren't going to hire Mike, you weren't going to hire Vrabel. Too much of this going on. Dan Quinn, not good. And I'll and then just go Raheem Morris, no. Brian Johnson, no. I mean, you can go through them and, and look. Considering the pool, I don't think this is a bad hire. And look what he did with quarterbacks. And yes, you can say that about Frank Wright. He did it with quarterbacks too. Carson Wentz, they went to the Super Bowl with him. But then again, I think this is a good hire. I'm going to stand by that. And I think, just like I said, he's not coming into a good situation. I don't think we would get a top candidate because of that. Casey, when's your birthday, man? I'm going to get you a present. February 15th. <clears throat> wow, it's coming up soon. Yes. I'm going to get you a custom David Tepper Carolina Panthers jersey. Okay. Would you wear it? I would not wear it. I would burn it. I'd light it on fire. Uh, I might have to do that. All right, let's get another break in. We'll come back. We'll talk about ECU basketball, what this win over Wichita State means. Somehow we've gone Carolina Panthers segment two the last two days with Bobby and Kaysen. It is obviously no ECU football going on, so we do have to kill some time every now and then. So we might have to make this a trend while Panthers news is hot with a lot of Panther fans in the area. But uh, either way, we'll come back. We'll talk more ECU basketball. We'll discuss kind of the schedule going forward, all right? Does this win really turn the season around, or is it just the fact ECU beat a bad basketball team last night on the road? We'll get into that and more hoist the colors on a Thursday. What's happening, man? What's happening? Tell me. Every ECU fan's one stop for all things ECU athletics. This is Hoist the Colors with Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. All right, welcome back in. Hoist the Colors on this Thursday, recapping East Carolina's win over Wichita State. We also talked about the Panthers hiring Dave Canales. Canales, however you say his name. I'll figure it out eventually. But they have done that. And much to the chagrin of Kaysen Ramaley and Philip Pilkington, David Tepper is still the owner in Charlotte. All right, guys, let's discuss big picture. I think it was Tony who asked earlier, is this a turning point for this basketball team? And, you know, ultimately time will tell. But I did say yesterday on the show, Casey, that ECU, if they wanted to turn the season around, they had to get this win. They couldn't go 0-2 on the road after a two-game home spell. You come back with a winnable game against Temple, which we'll get into in a little bit. But had to find a way. They found it. It was ugly. Do you feel like this could be a turning point, or is this just a, a win over a bad basketball team? I think it could be a turning point. I definitely think so for sure. And then also you look at the schedule coming up. You have Temple at home and then South Florida, which two home games versus two not very good teams. So, I mean, you have a good opportunity for a little three-game win streak right here. I mean, and then after that, then after that, ooh, yikes. You go to Charlotte, which is not ideal. 
and then you go to UTSA, and then you have Wichita State at home. So I mean, you have, I mean, realistically, you sh- you could win four. One, two, three. Well, South Florida, <laughs> yeah. South Florida's Don't won ten of their it. last eleven. Exactly. S- South Florida and Charlotte are both at the top of the league. This league right now, guys, is just crazy. I mean, have y'all looked at the standings lately? Yeah, Charlotte. Yeah, it's actually ridiculous. Actually, Memphis is two losses. It's actually ridiculous. Tulsa started I, it out I mean, the season great, and then they're one and five. It's ridiculous. There are. There are five teams with one loss at the top of the standings. FAU and Charlotte are six and one. South Florida is five and one. SMU and North Texas are four and one. Then you've got Memphis and UAB both at four and two. You've got Tulane and ECU both at three and four. Then you got UTSA, which plays the most insane basketball games on a nightly basis. They're two and five. They hit a game winning three to beat Tulane last night inside their like middle school gym. Uh, weird home venue there. Tulsa, Rice, and Temple all have one win, and then Wichita State zero and six. Like nothing about this league is really making sense. I mean, I don't think anybody expected Charlotte or South Florida to be at the top of the league. FAU, of course, makes sense. And I'll, I'll be honest, Kason, there's not a team on ECU's schedule. A, I mean, they could lose anybody, but I think they can beat. Everybody left on the schedule. Maybe not at SMU. That's going to be a tough game. I think SMU is legit. But uh, like even at Charlotte, I don't think Charlotte's unbeatable, even though they're playing well. Same with South Florida here. You know, I just think every game is is going to come down to kind of that final stanza where the Pirates either play. You know, we either have to figure out a way to score in the final minutes to win some of these games. But I just think it's going to be a lot of toss ups. I agree 100%. And also in this day and age, anyone can be anyone. I mean, look at what UTSA did last night at Tulane. Yes. And hold on, go on this. Tulane is, Tulane has the talent on their roster not to be three and four and 12 and seven. They just can't play defense. That's their problem. They can lose any given night 98 to 92. Yeah. I mean, and then just, I mean, you can look at the schedule. Yes, it's winnable. But then again, this same ECU team. Lost to USC Upstate and Northeastern. So, I mean, got to keep that in the back of your mind. And also, they like to give up games like North Texas, and we should have lost Kennesaw State. But then again, also, if you look back if you look back at the schedule, the conference schedule, I mean, they weren't totally out of that FAU game. The score doesn't tell that, but, I mean, they were close in it. And then SMU, they didn't have control of that one. And then UAB, you are in that one. North Texas, you had that one. So, I mean, it's just a matter of finishing games. And just like Swartz said last night, I'm glad that it was tied with eight minutes to go. Is that what he said, tied eight minutes to go? And yeah. I wanted to see this team. Yes. <clears throat> I want to see this team win one of those games. And I think he's very right about that. And they did, and they responded well. And I think that their schedule will play the part. All right, I got a question for the two of you guys. If It may be crazy to say this, but it, you got to turn around season, seasons at some point. It can't be with two weeks left. I think if this season doesn't get turned around, we're going to look back at the North Texas game and say, yep, that defined the season. And I think if we do turn the season around, we're going to look back at the Wichita State game and say that defined the season, that turned around. Is that you got, either one of y'all think that's crazy to say? Can I ask you? I think it's spot on. Can I ask you this first, but what is turn the season around? 
What is the end goal of turning the season around? Be back to where we were projected to be in conference standing. Okay, finish, finish over five hundred. Okay, yeah, five, yes, yeah. then then yes, I agree. Com- I agree completely. And yeah, because I think that if Look, you if if Adam says if you win those if you win these next two games, your season's turned around. I agree with that. To I mean, so here's my thing. I don't know. I, ECU, I guess, could still finish fifth and match their preseason ranking. For me, it's it's more about like you got to have something to sell that you're building. ECU has never finished with more than six conference wins in the American. Now, this is a down year for the league. I think much more winnable. I think there's more parity. So I think you got to finish above six conference wins. They already got three. Finishing over 500 as a program, even with a weaker schedule, would be a big deal. I mean, that hasn't happened in a decade. So, like, at some point, you got to make some tangible improvements, even if it's not finishing fifth or higher in the league. Um, maybe you can do all of that. But you had to win last night for it even to become a reality just because of how the schedule breaks down. Like, you know, you could beat Temple. South Florida is probably a toss-up game at home. I know that they're playing well, but that's, you know, they're not out of this world talented. And then you go on the road. Like, you just got to get some wins like last night over bad teams to kind of set yourself up for some of these toss-up games to break your way. Some aren't to get to that, you know, above 500 threshold that ECU basketball has been alluded to for so long. So I don't know. I mean, I may be looking at it different than others. I still think this has been a disappointing season compared to expectations in the big three. I mean, you got three of the best players in the league. You know, maybe we should have higher expectations. I think the program, the guys within the program do, but it's been a frustrating season. And so you got to find a way to salvage it and turn it around. That would be my definition of turn around, at least, is finishing above 500, finishing. And I guess at this point, if you're going to finish above 500 overall, you're probably going to have to finish 500 or better in the league, which would be for the first time ever ECU's done that as well. So I don't know. Is that. I don't know if that's considered a success, but it's certainly turned around compared to where it looked like it was headed. Yeah, 100%. I agree to that completely. And I think that also, I think another way, just like you said, if they continue to do that, and then if they win, I think if they win two games in the conference tournament, I think the season will be solid. I think if they finish above 500 in the conference, and if they finish above 500 in the conference, and overall, and win two games in the tournament. I think that would consider. I think that would be considered a solid season because look, your first game in the conference will be against a lesser team, and then the second game you play a team like Memphis or like at this point Charlotte, maybe. And if you beat them, and then you're in the semifinals, I think that would be a solid season, in my opinion. In my opinion. And there's another thing too is it's probably too early for this to look at the conference tournament, but. Like forecasting ahead, I mean, how you know if, if I'm ECU, like I go into the conference tournament this year thinking that you have a legit chance to win it for the first time in a while. There's no Houston. We know Memphis and FAU are good. We saw ECU go head to head with FAU for what 35 minutes. Yep, on their home floor. So I mean, I think you could win that on a neutral site. Memphis is Memphis, but like it's not impossible. Now, every other team in the league is going to be thinking the same. I don't even know what the situation is. It looks like, let's see, I'm trying to look at a potential bracket. But while you're looking up that, I'm just going to bring up a point. Is To your point yeah. with not a world-beating team, 
you won't necessarily have to beat FAU to win the conference because I think anybody can beat anybody. Yes. Yeah. And all 14 teams make the tournament. Mm-hmm. I hope so. So, yep, all 14 teams make it. The top five teams get a bye. Wow. Okay, so hold on. The top six teams get a bye. Is there a double bye? It looks buy? like. Yeah, double buys for the top four seeds. Okay. Is what I'm saying. Okay, okay. Never mind. I'm looking at this wrong. All right, the top four seeds basically get a double buy. And then the 13 and 12 and 14 and 11 have to play the first round. And then you get, you know, it's just a long, drawn out. Uh, case, bracket. So it's you guys like the. It's like the ACC tournament in twenty. It's basically the ACC tournament when whoever it was, Georgia Tech, was mm-hmm. was banned. Yes, correct, correct. Yes, I'll send you guys the link so y'all can look at it too. But it's um, yeah. So game one, day one, you'd have thirteen seed, twelve seed playing each other, and then fourteen and eleven, and then you've got day two, four games, day three, four games. And then the semifinals on Saturday. So if you're playing day one, I say it's a, it's a bust of a season. If we're you're playing done. On the first day, you're done. No, just for us, like there's no reason oh, we God, should finish yeah. bottom four in a conference. Absolutely. If you're if you're playing on day one, you're in trouble. So there's your look ahead. This is my first time. I forgot with the extra teams how the bracket would change. So we're kind of doing this on the fly here, but um, interesting. And yeah, if you're if you're finishing the top four of the league, you are sitting in great shape. You only have to win one game to make the semifinals. So that should be the goal. And uh, man, it would be nice if ECU could get five or above, but gonna have to win a lot of games in a row to get there. Now, all right, Josh Jackson on YouTube says this is the best team we've had in a very long time, regardless of the record. Just have a problem. Staying hot, scoring, and free throws. Defense has kept them in pretty much every game. I mean, the only game they've been housed in was George Mason. Should have beat South Carolina. I won't say should have, but could have. Could have beaten Florida. They just don't really have any marquee wins to show for it, guys. But I do think this team is better than like what the resume says. The problem is depth and, I think, lack of consistent scoring. So it's just been a weird year. But... Maybe this is the turnaround. We'll see. All right, we'll come back. We will talk about uh, Sunday's game against Temple and more and wrap up the show. This is Hoist the Colors on a Thursday. Here there be pirates. Back to Hoist the Colors with Steve and I go. How good is this on 94.3 The Game? Welcome back to Hoist the Colors. Final segment here on this Thursday. We discussed it yesterday with Bobby and Philip. Five o'clock Sunday for first, I almost said first pitch. I'm almost in baseball mode for tip off between East Carolina and Temple. That will basically be during crunch time for the AFC championship game. Ravens Chiefs. Kaysen, are you going to be in Minji's like the true basketball junkie you are? Or are you going to be sitting at home trying to watch some NFL playoffs? I'll be in. I will be uh, in Minji's. Praying that Lamar Jackson ends the Chiefs' reign because I'm so tired of that. But I will definitely be there. <clears throat> Excuse me. This is just not the best time for a basketball game, but I don't make the times. So I don't make the schedules. But hopefully, I can catch the end of the the late games NFC Championship. Right? 
Yeah. Yeah, it starts at six. Yeah, that's the one that I care about for the AFC one. I don't really want to watch, to be honest with you. Well, they should ban we... college basketball on Sunday, so after the Super Bowl. Well, this is a classic case of the American has this ESPN contract. They get a certain amount of games on linear networks. And so the TV executives are like, all right, what game can we put on in this spot to fill somebody's you know, obligation to be on a linear network? And they chose East Carolina and Temple. This game is on the U so or two? I- this game is on ESPN2, 5 o'clock, East Carolina Temple. Big matchup. <clears throat> we'll see what the announcing crew is like. But uh, hopefully you get a solid crowd. Look, I mean, ECU has a chance to sweep Temple for the first time in program history. They had never beaten them on the road. They did that earlier this season. It's not a good Temple team. They've been banged up. They shoot a million three-pointers. They don't make a lot of three-pointers, so they're kind of a weird team. But any team that shoots a lot of threes can get hot. They actually were hot against South Florida last night, almost beat South Florida until the Bulls rallied late. So, look, I've seen ECU come in as home favorites and lose a lot. they got to start defending their home turf in these conference games against teams they should beat. So this is an important game, Casey. What do you you know? What do you kind of make early scouting report on Temple? What do you remember about the first meeting and kind of the need to get this one to, to build any momentum from last night? I mean, I'm just going to be straight honest and blunt. This Temple team is not very good. They're beatable, I think. If you can beat a team on the road, you can definitely beat them at home. I think that emphasis is just make sure you can rebound at home. And just a main thing is just don't hurt yourself. ECU does that a lot. Sometimes, Sometimes they hurt themselves more than the opponent hurts them. And I think that is what they need to do. Just stay within yourself and be disciplined. And you'll come out with a win at home and sweep the first ever AAC opponent. It'd be nice to uh, to just get a nice, solid victory, like a eight to ten point win. But hey, I'll just take any win uh, at this point. It'll be interesting to see what the line is. What did you make of Jaden Walker starting last night at the point? Do you feel like that's a thing we see going forward with Bobby off the bench, or is it just a one time thing? I think with Bobby's eight points off the bench, you start Jade in this game still. I think you roll with the same lineup. I think you still keep Cam benched and just roll with the same lineup as it is. But, I'm being completely honest here, we might see Valentino starting considering what happened last night. Just going to be honest with you. He is the X Factor. Why don't we just start Val at the point? See what happens. Yeah, let's see what happens. All right, that'll just about do it for today's show. Kaysen, thanks for rushing over from class, getting your schoolwork in and helping out as always, man. Of course, no problem. See you Sunday. Always, always good to talk about a win, and we'll see you in Minji's on Sunday. Philip, we'll see you uh, tomorrow. We'll have Joe Sampson join us. We'll preview the AFC and NFC Championship. We'll talk football as well. Uh, we'll discuss Alex Flynn's decision because Joe played with him for several years to uh, to move on from football. We'll get into that discussion with uh, Joe Sampson on tomorrow's show. By the way, quick programming notes. Monday, we rescheduled Elijah Morris for Monday, ECU defensive tackle. And then Tuesday, we'll have Kaden Hauser, ECU transfer quarterback, in studio as well on Hoist the Colors. All right, until tomorrow at 12 noon, we'll talk to you then. This has been HTC. This has been Hoist the Colors with your host, 